Welcome to Disputes in Perspective, a Reed Smith podcast. This podcast series will discuss disputes-related trends, hot topics, and developments occurring in the global legal landscape, and hopefully provide you with some helpful insights and practical tips. If you have any questions about any of the episodes, please feel free to contact our speakers. Welcome back to Reed Smith's Disputes in Perspective. My name is Brad Finari. I'm a partner in our Pittsburgh office, and I am joined by two of my colleagues, Mark Goldstein and Michelle Mantini, and we're going to be talking about the Federal Trade Commission's recent proposed nationwide ban on non-compete agreements. So before we get started, just a little bit about myself and my practice. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a partner in our Pittsburgh office, but my practice is national. I'm the co-chair of our injunction, equitable and emergency relief team. I try a lot of injunctions and requests for emergency relief. My practice is also focused on elements of trade secret issues, non-compete issues, and other restrictive covenants, as well as general commercial litigation. So I'm going to let my partners introduce themselves. Thanks, Brad. Hello, everyone. My name is Michelle Mantini. Like Brad, I am a partner in our Pittsburgh office of Reed Smith. I am the chair of our antitrust and competition team a global team that handles antitrust and competition matters. Um, So the one today is near and dear to my heart. Thanks for joining. And let me let my um, partner, Mark, introduce himself. Mark? Thanks, Michelle. My name is Mark Goldstein. I'm a partner in Reed Smith's New York office um, in our labor and employment group. And I handle all manner of employment-related dispute, including those related to all forms of restrictive covenants from non-competes uh, and non-solicits to confidentiality clauses, issues regarding uh, trade secrets and confidential and proprietary information. Happy to be here with you both today. That's great. Thanks, Mark. So we've got the bases covered. Um, we've got a, a team, of, I think, well-qualified partners to give uh, a kind of a broad introduction and perspective and insights on what is really an unprecedented rule by the Federal Trade Commission in its promulgation of of a proposed rule less than a month ago that would impose a nationwide ban on non-compete agreements in all but maybe a limited number of cases. In justifying the rule, the FTC cited things such as wage suppression for the proposed rule and other issues. The rule won't go into effect, if at all, for several months, yet the proposed regulation calls into a number of of questions in terms of its enforceability, ranging from issues of preemption and federalism, separation of powers, and even agency rulemaking authority. So those are some of the issues that we're going to to touch on. Let's start with the substance of the rule. Let me throw, throw the question out to whoever wants to take a stab at it first. The rule, though lengthy, certainly purports to require certain things, but there are a number of ambiguities, I think, in the rule, and a lot of questions remain exactly the breadth, scope, et cetera. So if anyone, Mark or Michelle, want to take a stab at that? I'm happy to kick it off, Brad, and let Mark jump in. Um, the rule is certainly lengthy. It It's very much consistent with what we're otherwise seeing the FTC, their approach these days in terms of antitrust enforcement, very black or white, all or nothing. There are a few sort of exceptions to this proposed ban on non-competes, primarily arising in the deal contacts when there's a purchase or an acquisition of assets or stock. It's concerning in in sort of that all or nothing approach, right? In the sense that I think all of us are used to the variation among state laws, the variation among employers 
skill as well as the type of knowledge they would have access to in their position and other circumstantial or sort of evidence-based factors that could play into whether or not a non-compete is reasonably necessary to protect a, co- a company's you know, best interests and the interests of, of, of the business. So it's, it's sort of broad strokes. And I, I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing a lot of comments being made about the rule by companies and others, and a lot of opportunity that the FTC is providing, public forums, town halls, and the like for, for companies and, and people to voice their concerns about this sort of um, broad sweeping rule. Mark, anything to add there? No, I, I, I totally agree, Michelle. I think it's the breadth of, of the proposed rule that was perhaps most surprising. You know, I don't think any of us were entirely taken aback that the FTC issued something. Uh, the issue of restrictive covenants and in particular non-competes uh, with respect to employees has been a hot button issue uh, at the state level for probably the last five, 10 years in particular. We've seen states like Massachusetts, Nevada, and a whole host of others either propose or adopt uh, specific laws with respect to the use of non-competes, although no outright bans outside of a few states like California and Oklahoma. And President Biden in the summer of 2021 specifically told the FTC that he wanted them to look into this issue. But it was the all-out, all-or-nothing blanket ban that I think was most surprising, particularly because the FTC seems to be trying to combat uh, low-wage workers, people who work at a sandwich shop or a coffee shop, uh, perhaps, from being bound by non-competes. And yet this is, you know, this this proposed rule, if it were to be adopted, encompasses everybody from the janitor up to the CEO. I think there are some other ambiguities we see in the proposal as well that hopefully will be ironed out before the final rule is submitted, including the fact that the proposed rule not only says that it encompasses traditional non-competes, but also de facto non-compete clauses, which are essentially clauses that the FTC says, you know, while not necessarily styled as a traditional non-compete, would effectively have the same um, import or, 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 or effect. It's hard to know really what a de facto non-compete clause is, though. And the FTC, while they give a couple of examples, you know, I, I don't think it really answers what is a de facto non-compete clause, particularly in terms of uh, the context of something like a non-disclosure agreement. And the other ambiguity that I hope that the FTC will iron out, among others, in in its final iteration of the rule, is the exception, which, you know, I think, Michelle, you just mentioned, the exception to the rule is that non-compete clauses will still would still be permissible if they're entered into essentially in, in connection with the sale of a business. And it's not clear right now you know, who precisely would that apply to? Would that be the majority shareholder, anybody who has an equity stake? So hopefully there'll be some ambiguity removed if that exemption remains as to really what it's intended to cover in, in the sale of the business context. Yeah, great points, Mark. I think the the language in the proposed rule to be applied to certain agreements to for courts eventually to determine whether or not uh, they impose A non-compete element is a functional test, one of those kind of nebulous, to-be-determined tests by our administrative agencies. You mentioned the application of non-competes to lower wage earners. Um, You know, a lot of states are developing case law prohibiting the application de facto to a certain class of, of workers. Let's talk a little bit about the other end of the pay scale, upper management, C-suite level highly compensated individuals where consideration and significant consideration is being paid 
for an agreement that this employee, let's call her the chief technology officer of a, an engineering startup or a biotech company. We're paying significant amount of money in consideration for the agreement not to go work for a competitor. One of the things the rule does is make the application of the prohibition retroactive. So there's that element, but also proactively, how do you all think this rule, if enacted in its current form, um, is going to impact corporate clients as they look at compensating upper level management? So so as to the retro retroactive portion of it, I, I'm thankful with these types of rules that there's a notice and comment period and the FTC just announced that there's going to be a public forum in about two weeks because, I, you know, perhaps they didn't anticipate rightly what you just pointed out, Brad, is the effects that this will have if the rule is retroactive. And I'm also thinking about states like Massachusetts, where you need to provide additional consideration if you want an existing employee as opposed to a new hire to sign up to a restrictive covenant agreement. Often, you know, that's some type of payment in the low four figures. If this were made retroactive, then the employer would have already paid out uh, this benefit, and then they would have to rescind the non-compete and therefore not get the benefit of the compensation they paid out. Uh, Similar would be, you know, similar situation with the C-suite, you know, folks that you're talking about. Um, So I'm hopeful that the FTC will consider the impact this would have when folks are entering into employment relationships or entering into non-compete agreements, that substantial consideration may have been paid for future enforceability of that. And hopefully, you know, unlike, hopefully like most laws that are, or, or regulations that are passed by federal agencies, this will be perspective only in nature. Yes, similarly, Mark, I'm hoping they think a lot about those employees who might not necessarily be a C-suite employee, right? But they have access to incredible amounts of sensitive intellectual property, sensitive information, things that, you know, a a non-compete does serve to protect, right? If they take that information with them and use it against that prior employer, the damages are huge. And honestly, a lot of times they cannot really be, you know, rectified with monetary damages. There's reputational damages and the like. So there's also what I would call that sort of sweet spot in the middle where non-competes can serve a real important purpose. And if they're reasonably tailored to the right person, and in scope and duration, um, the commercial benefit is, is large and would outweigh any anti-competitive effect, in my view. We, we all know on the call that the proposed rule was in direct response to uh, President Biden's executive order of last summer, as, as Mark mentioned. We as a law firm and the three of us in particular and our colleagues have been thinking and fielding calls about, is this really happening? How can we mount a challenge to the to the enforcement or the uh, adoption of the rule? And we collectively are working on with clients some comments during the comment period. Um, and you know the the arguments that I I think, and I'm a litigator, so you know I you know think from this perspective about challenges um, to the to the rule. Front and center is the rulemaking authority of the FTC, and this is something Michelle and I have talked about um, in this context and other contexts. Uh, the FTC Act does not give the FTC, uh, by act of Congress, does not give it the authority to prohibit certain business practices, which the agency might deem to be unfair methods of competition. So this is first impression um, as it relates to non-competes. But what other 
challenges and vulnerabilities do you see to the rule, uh, both as we go through the rulemaking process and if the rule or some piece of it is enacted? Yeah, so I, I think you're you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, look, it, whatever the final rule is, the day the day after, there's going to be you know lawsuits filed all across the country, probably starting within the Fifth Circuit, probably in uh, Texas District Court. But you know, one thing in that regard, I think it's been interesting to note, and obviously I, I'm more in the employment space, but we've seen a number of federal regulations struck down by courts this year uh, in the past few years uh, as overreaching by agencies. I'm thinking first. Uh, of the proposed overtime regulations from about five or six years ago uh, that on the eve of implementation were struck down. And then, of course, last year, uh, the Supreme Court striking down President Biden's vaccine mandate. So I, c- certainly we've seen the courts being um, not as deferential to federal agencies as perhaps they'd been in prior decades. But even if the proposal uh, survives that threshold challenge, I think the next question is, if the FTC can in some way regulate this, is the proposal tethered in some reasonable nexus to what their intent is, and what the intent seems to be? Again, and you know, as I said early on, is to stop non, you know, stop companies from from having the person who makes your sandwich or who brings you a cup of coffee from being bound by non compete. And this blanket all or nothing approach that we've seen clearly uh, is not narrowly or in any way, shape, or form tailored. So I think that leaves. The, the rule, if it remains this way, rightly open for a challenge and the fact that you, you know, just taking this blanket all out, uh, you know, all or nothing position with really very little research and, you know, to support it. Yeah, I mean, adding to that, the research that uh, the FTC cited in support of it, there's been a number of articles and commentary since then that it's it's not necessarily in support of the ban, right? You look at that data, once you peel back the layers of that onion, you see that there's a lot of variation there. And I think that's exactly why our states have taken so many different approaches, right, to protect their workers and companies. That variation's important, and by state regulators, it was the process of a lot of time, effort, and energy to try to find the right fit for regulation. I don't think that's been put in here. I wonder if the the, the comment period, I, at least I hope, will facilitate some of that thinking um, to come up with something that's much more, I think, even-handed, at least I hope, uh, something much more really getting at the intent, Mark, as you described it, which is to protect those lower wage workers so that they have more opportunity to to change from one job to another as needed, right, or as they see fit and not be sort of stuck by a non-compete. It's just a vastly different situation than that that C-suite employee, right, who, you know, there's there's a much different level uh, of investment and, and other factors involved there that go into that decision that honestly were completely ignored by this, right? I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the FTC um, and the government defends this proposal, especially um, anticipating justification under the Commerce Clause. The federal government, um, as we know, doesn't have the authority to regulate intrastate commerce. It has, the under the Commerce Clause, the, the right to regulate interstate commerce. Many of our clients, and, and I have um, a client here locally whose business is a hospital system. Its business is almost exclusively within the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Like most hospitals, um, they have employment agreements with their physicians with narrowly drawn 
an enforceable non-compete provisions limiting the restriction to the county the physician's primary practice is or maybe a contiguous county but not crossing state lines so um, an employer like that i think has a great position under most state laws that this rule if enacted wouldn't apply to it and those challenges i think are going to be front and center depending on the the scope of the the rule that gets enacted uh, we still have a ways to go. Um, I've been fielding some questions in terms of kind of from employers, what do I do now? You know, we're still in the, the comment period. Um, so, you know, clients and, and others who might wish to comment, reach out to us. I think the deadline is currently March 23rd. It's likely to get extended. As Mark mentioned, there's a town hall meeting coming up um, where people can can participate and let their views be known. Once a proposed rule is enacted and, fre- and is published in the Federal Register, there's an 180-day period before it goes into enforcement. During that period, companies are, are given the opportunity to, to come into compliance. So we're still a ways off, but I, I want to ask both of you, as you field those similar calls, clients are asking what they should be doing now. What advice and recommendations are you giving? Yeah, thanks, Brad. This is a great one to sort of wrap it up on, right? Because it's it's sort of the immediate what's in front of us, what to do next. I would say, you know, don't jump and change anything is sort of my first my first uh, piece of advice. There, there's time here. We don't know ultimately what the final rule is going to look like, right? But this time does give you an opportunity to reflect on getting your your hands around as an employer. What non competes do you have? Which ones do you really care about and why? And are they reasonable in duration and scope? And I think starting there and sort of mapping that out for for your particular company is key. And to the extent there are ones that really matter, those are the ones that perhaps submitting commentary on or speaking with at forums and the like, that that might be worthwhile. But I think making sure you've got your hands around that so you're ready to pivot if needed, that would be sort of my, my first take on that. Mark? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. This is a, you have a golden opportunity right now, particularly if you haven't looked at form or template agreements that, you know, you frequently use. You've got a golden opportunity now that's going to be at least several months to take a look at, at what and who, what and which employees are, you know, you're asking to sign, you know, what sorts of documents. And, and as Michelle said, if some iteration of this rule is ultimately adopted, how can we pivot? Does that mean maybe strengthening our non-solicitation provisions? Does it mean beefing up our confidentiality or work for hire provisions? And in an absolute worst case scenario, if we have to let you know pre, folks with pre-existing non-competes, uh, we have to let them know that we're sending them. You know, what's the universe there? So, so you've got this period now uh, where you can get your hands around everything. But I agree you know, with Michelle. I think the most important thing is not to be too reactionary at this stage. This is just a proposal. We've seen a lot of federal rules go through different iterations uh, before they hit the, their final form. And so certainly you want to stay abreast of it. You want to understand how it may impact your business. But I wouldn't react uh, too much yet in terms of actually pen to paper. Yeah, great, great advice, both of you. I'm going to offer a shameless plug to Reed, Reed Smith right now. You know, traditionally these issues have been issues of state law. The footprint of our law firm touches on I can't remember how many states, but the states are many, um, and we have practitioners in this area in each of those offices. So reach out um, with any questions. I think as both Mark and Michelle have, have indicated, now's the time to kind of fine tune your 
um, restrictive covenant, specifically your non-compete practices. The rule is not final. Uh, we don't know what the what if anything might be enacted, but um, it certainly gives employers the opportunity to, to visit the issue from a new perspective. So let me stop there. Um, I want to thank Mark and Michelle for joining me today for this insightful discussion, and we look forward to your joining us next time for the next Disputes in Perspective. Thank you. Disputes in Perspective is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McCardle. For more information about Reed Smith's litigation and dispute resolution practice, please email disputesinperspective at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.